Chapter 4 of Little Masterpieces of American Wit and Humor, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joshua M. C. Little Masterpieces of American Wit and Humor, Volume 1, edited by Thomas Lansing Masson. Antony von Corlier by Washington Irving. The very first movements of the great Peter on taking the reins of government displayed his magnanimity, though they occasioned not a little marvel and uneasiness among the people of the Manhattoes. Finding himself constantly interrupted by the opposition and annoyed by the advice of his privy council, the members of which had acquired the unreasonable habit of thinking and speaking for themselves during the preceding reign, he had determined at once to put a stop to such grievous abominations. Scarcely, therefore, had he entered upon his authority than he turned out of office all the meddlesome spirits of the factious cabinet of William the Testy, in place of whom he chose unto himself counsellors from those fat, somniferous respectable burghers who had flourished and slumbered under the easy reign of walter the doubter all these he caused to be furnished with abundance of fair long pipes and to be regaled with frequent corporation dinners admonishing them to smoke and eat and sleep for the good of the nation while he took the burden of the government upon his own shoulders an arrangement to which they all gave hearty acquiescence nor did he stop here but made a hideous root among the inventions and expedients of his learned predecessor rooting up his patent gallows where caitiff vagabonds were suspended by the waistband demolishing his flagstaffs and windmills which like the mighty giants guarded the ramparts of new amsterdam pitching to the duvel whole batteries of quaker guns and in a word turning topsy-turvy the whole philosophic economic and windmill system of the immortal sage of sardom the honest folks of new amsterdam began to quake now for the fate of their matchless champion antony the trumpeter who had acquired prodigious favor in the eyes of the women by means of his whiskers and trumpet him did peter the headstrong cause to be brought into his presence and eyeing him for a moment from head to foot with a countenance that would have appalled anything else than a sounder of brass prithee who and what art thou said he sire replied the other in no wise dismayed for my name it is antony von corlier for my parentage i am the son of my mother for my profession i am champion and garrison of this great city of new amsterdam i doubt me very much said peter stuyvesant that thou art some scurvy costard monger knave how didst thou acquire this paramount honour and dignity marry sir replied the other like many a great man before me simply by sounding my own trumpet ay is it so quoth the governor why then let us have a relish of thy art whereupon the good antony put his instrument to his lips and sounded a charge with such a tremendous outset such a delectable quaver, and such a triumphant cadence, that it was enough to make one's heart leap out of one's mouth, only to be within a mile of it. Like as a war-worn charger, grazing in peaceful plains, starts at a strain of martial music, pricks up his ears, and snorts, and paws, and kindles at the noise, 
so did the heroic peter joy to hear the clangor of the trumpet for of him tr might truly be said what was recorded of the renowned saint george of england there was nothing in all the world that more rejoiced his heart than to hear the pleasant sound of war and see the soldiers brandish forth their steeled weapons casting his eye more kindly therefore upon the sturdy van corlier and finding him to be a jovial varlet shrewd in his discourse yet of great discretion in a measurable wind he straightway conceived a vast kindness for him and discharging him from the troublesome duty of garrisoning defending and alarming the city ever after retained him about his person as his chief favorite confidential envoy and trusty squire instead of disturbing the city with disastrous notes he was instructed to play so as to delight the governor while at the repasts as did the minstrels of yore in the days of the glorious chivalry and on all public occasions to rejoice the ears of the people with warlike melody thereby keeping alive a noble and martial spirit end of chapter four recording by joshua m c